Hey, you know, uh, two years ago when I set out to plant this church, um, I knew in my heart and in my mind that I wanted to do this series. I knew that I wanted to have dinners uh, beforehand and come together and do teachings on the Holy Spirit. And I knew that I wanted it to happen in the early stages of this church. And the reason for that is because I would want this to lay a foundation of belief and practice in this church, that we would be a church that would truly be led by the Holy Spirit. And, um, you know, this series, we're going to take a focused look on the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. And by the way, I just love this over here, this little high school group over here. Look at that. So fun. It's so fun. But we're going to take a focused look at the person and the work of the Holy Spirit, who he is and what he does. And this teaching series is something that's going to come up again and again in the life of this church because we always need to be reminded that unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor will labor in vain. And as Zechariah 4, 6 says, that this is the word of the Lord, that it's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. And as um, Rob is going to probably share a little bit more next week, you know, the Lord has built this house by his Holy Spirit um, in a very unique way. And, and if I could even say in a miraculous way, this church finds its origin from an outpouring of the Spirit of God that happened in a prayer meeting in the summer of 2020. This happened when the pastors of Life on the Hill Church, Pastor Rob and Ben and Ben Kai, uh, we gathered together for a prayer meeting with our wives and sought to be filled with the Holy Spirit, sought the baptism with the Holy Spirit, which Rob will share on next week. And, you know, when these pastors of this church, Life on the Hill, which many of you guys are part of that congregation, met this eager church planter from Santa Barbara who moved down here in the middle of a pandemic and didn't have much of a plan except to be led by the Spirit. We joined together, we sought God for how he was going to birth this church, and he did. And he did it in a very unique time, in a very unique way, but he did it in a way that I think every church should be formed and in every way uh, that the church should operate, which is by the power of the Holy Spirit. I, I mean, I literally, some, I pinch myself so often on Sunday mornings as I look out and I see these faces and I, I see that, you know, two years ago, it was my wife and two of our kids, Knox wasn't born yet, Loading up in a U-Haul, driving down here in May of 2020, not knowing what God was going to do, but look at what he's done. And, and we, again, we attribute that to the work of the Holy Spirit. And, and so if I can just say it rather plainly, is that our desire, our goal for this series is that we would all, in a fresh way, be filled and empowered with the Holy Spirit. I love what Robin said when this, first, this church was first started, and she was one of the early people of this church. She said, you know, I want any person who comes into this church to get to see and experience what I got to see and experience when this whole thing was first going, right, Stephen Robin? And, and that's our desire. And, and if we're saying, what would you see, what would you experience, we would want you to see a work of the Holy Spirit. We would want you to see his power and his presence. And so our goal, again, and our desire is that we would all, in a fresh way, 
be filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit so that we would be a church that is faithful and fruitful for Jesus in this world. That we would desperately depend upon the Holy Spirit as a people of God, that we would be effective for the kingdom of God. You know, we sang, spirit break out. You know, tear our walls down. You know, let, let's see, just, I mean, we've already kind of gone to the walls of this church, um, but let's see just our walls um, sort of physically of our church, but also metaphorically of our heart, that they would come down and we would see what God would do. So our objective in this four-week series is to understand and to experience who the Holy Spirit is and what he does. And, you know, the idea of knowing in the scripture comes from this Greek word, gnosko, and Anytime the Bible talks about knowing, it's talking about the idea of not just having knowledge of facts, but having knowledge through experience. And what we're seeking to do here in this series is we're not simply looking to intellectually assent to some theological ideas. We're looking to know and be known by the living God, the Holy Spirit. And perhaps that excites you. Uh, maybe that makes you a little nervous because where might this take us? Maybe it even terrifies you, but can I tell you, if we are going to seek to be known and to be loved and to be empowered by God, what would we ever be afraid of? We're gonna learn together over these four weeks. I'm just gonna give you a little snippet of what each week would be. Tonight, we're gonna talk a little bit more later about the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Next week, Pastor Rob is going to talk about the filling and the baptism with the Holy Spirit. You don't want to miss next week. The third week, we're going to talk about the gifts of the Holy Spirit and how they're to be in operation among God's church and the body of Christ. Each one of you has a spiritual gift. If you don't know it, we want to help identify it. And we believe God wants us all to be used in his body. And then lastly, the fourth week, we want to uh, learn what it means to walk by the Spirit of God, to be led by Him. So four weeks to know and to experience God in a fresh way. And you know, maybe there's some sense, right? In one sense, there's, well, we're talking about God. How can you know and experience God in just four weeks? And then maybe there's this thought where, you know, I've been walking with God for a really long time. You know, some of you maybe have been walking with Jesus for 20 years 30 years, 40 years, maybe even 50 years, you've been walking with Jesus, and you might even be coming here tonight and sort of being like, what are they going to say? And, and maybe you're even thinking, you know, I'm good with where I'm at in my level of understanding of the Holy Spirit. And, and perhaps there's this thought that I don't really have any need for any more teaching. I just want to kind of see what there is, and I, I think you're going to be encouraged next week to hear from Pastor Rob. And just as he's walked with Jesus and how in the last two years of his life, the way that the ministry of the Holy Spirit has just transformed the last two years of his life, uh, I just wanna encourage you, maybe you wanna be surprised this summer by who, by who the Holy Spirit is and what he can do in your life. You know, we're talking about God. God. We're talking about the Holy Spirit who is God and he is willing, he is able to do abundantly 
more than we could even ask, think, or imagine. What God is able to do, I mean, so is it really too much to ask? Is it even wrong to expect that the Holy Spirit would want to minister to us in ways that we've never known before in our lives? So I just wanna encourage us all that we would have, and I'll even say, a fun and exciting summer. as we seek the person and the work of the Holy Spirit together. Because just as eager as each one of us might be to know more and to experience more of the Holy Spirit, you wanna know something? God is even more eager that you would know Him and, and, and that He would know you and have that intimacy with you. And so we can expect to meet with God as we gather for this summer in the Spirit, if you will. And so let's be confident, let's, let's expect each week that we come that there's gonna be power and presence as God's people meet. And I, I think, you know, we've been saying that God would purify his church. I think as we've been coming here on Sunday mornings, First Peter was a very purifying book, was it not? And, and remember how I, I said on, when we were talking about suffering that, that a refined church is an empowered church. Have you guys felt a little bit refined lately by the word of God? I think that makes us a people that are ready to have the spirit poured out upon us. And so it's, it's humbling to me. I even wrestled all week as I was preparing this message because I can't make anything happen. I, I can't you know, make the Holy Spirit fall upon us because he is sovereign <laughs> and he is in control of what he wants to do. But you know what I can be? And I know what you can do. We can be expectant. We can pray and be desperately dependent upon the Holy Spirit. We can faithfully look to God's word and say, God, do what you say. You said it, so do it. And so if we come to this time Yes, trusting that God is sovereign, but knowing that if we ask, if we knock, if we seek, God will meet us. Amen? Can we just pray right now with an expectation that God's going to meet us? Lord God, thank you for these people who have gathered here. Lord, thank you for all of our hearts that are coming into this moment saying we want to know you, Holy Spirit. We want to know who you are and we want to know what you can do in our lives. Thank you for uh, the people here who know what you've done, that they wouldn't be alive if it wasn't for you, Holy Spirit. And so God, thank you for all the works of your past that you've done in our lives. You have a perfect track record. Thank you for what you're gonna do tonight. And God, thank you that we have a secure future with you, Holy Spirit. And we trust you to lead us into these weeks ahead that we have together. And God, we're just gonna ask simply, fall afresh upon your church today. Fill us, Lord, with your power and with your presence. Flood every part of us and God, Make us more like Jesus. Conform us into his image. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So that was just my introduction. (laughs) So obviously tonight I'm not gonna be able to give an exhaustive study on all of who the Holy Spirit is, right? We're talking about God. But I hope that this teaching tonight would get things maybe underway for you if you don't know quite yet as to who we're even talking about. Maybe you, 
you know, as the disciples in Ephesus, they, they said, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? We haven't even so much as heard of the Holy Spirit, is what they said. And so maybe that's where you are. Maybe you're somewhere uh, in between. Maybe you know a lot about the Holy Spirit. That's good. But let's all come together to the Word of God, the Bible, which we love to teach week in and week out here. But, but tonight's going to look a little differently. This is more of a topical message. And by way of what we're doing next, I'm going to give an overview as to who the Holy Spirit is. And I'm going to give a theology, sort of a working theology as to who is the Holy Spirit. But I want to encourage us in something is that we want good theology on the Holy Spirit. We want to have a good and proper study of God. That's what theology means. Theos is Godology study, study of God. If we're going to study God, we want it to be done right and we want it to be done from the Word of God. And when we're talking about the theology of the Holy Spirit, we cannot inform our theology out of our experiences. The Bible makes it clear that we need to inform our theology from his revealed word. However, a theology from the word of God that does not lead to experience is dead. We have to both study, but we also have to experience the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. It's imperative that we would not just comprehend him, intellectually assent to him with our minds, but that we would ask him to change us and experience his fullness. So as we start out, this is the theology, but then we're gonna get to how, how are we gonna really know him and be known by him? So just based off of his name, the Holy Spirit. Well, first, he's holy. That word holy might even be something that we have a hard time comprehending, right? Because we're not holy. And holiness means that, you know, it involves moral excellence and separateness, that the Holy Spirit is perfect, he's set apart, he's different from us. And holiness is shown throughout the Old Testament uh, in where we see that there is a seriousness in how God is to be approached. He's different, he's set apart, he's other, especially in the way that he's set apart from sin. He's perfect. And then he is spirit. And in the Old Testament, which was written in Hebrew, it was the word ruach. And in the, I don't know if I said that right. Um, in Greek, in the New Testament, it was the word pneuma. In both of those words, ruach and pneuma are onomatopoetic words. You know, high school students, you know what that is? What's an onomatopoeia? You know, pow, boom, zap, zip. Those are all onomatopoetic words because the word describes sort of like the sound of it, right? And so if he's spirit, the idea of ruach or pneuma has the idea of breath or wind. He's the breath of God, he's the wind of God, he's the force of God's power. But the Holy Spirit is still a person, as we're gonna see more in just a moment. And again, this is hard for us to sometimes comprehend that the Holy Spirit is a person because when we think of people, we think of material bodies, we think of flesh and blood like you and me. But he's spirit, right? He's not physical, he can't be touched, he can't be seen. But even though the Holy Spirit is spirit, he doesn't have a body, he's still a person. And he can be knowable which is why we're gonna be teaching on who he is and not what he is. He's a person. We can't see him with our eyes. We can't touch him. I mean, 
one of the hardest things, one of the mysterious things that we comprehend as believers is that if you're a Christian in here, every single one of us has the Holy Spirit some way dwelling inside of us. Like, what? That's insane. That's maybe not a good word. That's like a California way of saying, that's awesome. That's insane, right? (laughs) It's, It's wild because we can't see him. We can't touch him. But by faith, we believe he exists. And he can be known because he's God and he's a person. And our faith is based upon abundant evidence of who he is because he manifests himself to us. He makes himself known to mankind. He loves to reveal himself. So he is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is God. He's the third member of the Godhead. Theologically, we call that Trinity. And the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, you're not going to find the word Trinity anywhere in your Bible. You can look in your concordance, you won't find it, it's not there. But the reality of God and Trinity is woven throughout the fabric of Scripture. I love this story in Acts chapter 5 when Ananias and Sapphira come and they say that they've sold a property and they're going to give all the money to the church. And so they come and say, here, Peter, here's all the money. But they had withheld some of the money and they said, no, we gave it all. And Peter confronts them and says, why have you lied to God? And he says there in that line, he says, you've lied to the Holy Spirit. You know what happened to them. Right? Kind of intense, kind of like setting the stage for the holiness of the Holy Spirit. You're like, well, what did I come to tonight, right? Um, He's holy. He's to be approached with seriousness. But look, Peter called him God. You lied to God. I love when you see Jesus' baptism, the Father and the Son and the Spirit are all present at once. One God who's three persons all present in that moment. We see many lines like we read in 1 Peter at the beginning of the book. 1 Peter 1-2 says, we have been saved according to the foreknowledge of the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ. And so, the Holy Spirit, he is co-equal, co-eternal with the Father and with the Son. The Spirit is separate and distinct from the Father and the Son, and yet the Spirit is still in perfect union with the Father and the Son that we have one God, and yet He's revealed Himself in three persons. And in fact, He is so closely connected to the Father and the Son that even at times in Scripture, the Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of the Father and the Spirit of Jesus. One of the good things you could do is go and read creeds that have been written in the history of the church and just to see some of that great language that surrounds who the Holy Spirit is and that he's God. He's not some subclass God. He's not like, the, just because he's the third person of the Trinity doesn't mean he's like third place. He's God. And he's a person, meaning he has mind, will, intellect, emotions. That's what makes us people. And the Holy Spirit is often the one who's associated with the power of God or with the presence of God, but we have to understand the Holy Spirit's not some impersonal force or energy. Uh, He's not the force from Star Wars, okay, guys? Can't just like, anybody ever play Street Fighter growing up? You know, like, Hadouken, like you just send some fireball across the room, right? 
That's not who the Holy Spirit is. He's a person. He's not an it. And this is something that I know sometimes unconsciously happens when we talk about God, is that we'll talk about the Father and the Son, we'll refer to them in, in the pronoun he, but as soon as we start talking about the Holy Spirit, we, we call him an it. And, and I know that that's like an unconscious thing. You don't really maybe mean that, but we gotta fix that. Because I think just even in the way that we sometimes speak about him influences the way that we think about him. He has not been revealed in the pronoun it. He's been revealed in the pronoun he. You can know him in the same way that you would know Jesus in his person. But with all of this, why is the Holy Spirit the least understood of the Godhead? Why do we sometimes think of him as an it? Why do sometimes we think of him as like third class God? Well, Maybe because of his name, Holy Spirit, or if you like the King James Version, Holy Ghost. Kind of like, whoa, what's that all about? But also, look, we have fathers, right? We have a point of reference for that in life. We have sons, or we have brothers. We understand Jesus because we have those in real life relationships. But do we have Holy Spirits? No, we have fathers, we have brothers, we have sons, but we don't have, we, we have spirits, but we have a hard enough time understanding our own spirit, much less the spirit of God, right? And so I know that, I know that sometimes, and I, I would say this was probably the case for me, where my understanding of God as father was more difficult, because my point of reference in life wasn't very good to base that off of. But in some ways, even for that, the Holy Spirit can be known in a way that is apart from our familial relationships, which in a sense is kind of good. Because what the Holy Spirit can do is he can make known to you what a loving father is. See, the Holy Spirit is the one who pours out the love of the Father into our hearts. You know, he can connect us to Jesus as a savior when it's just, it's amazing. And so part of this is is self-induced, right? Part of it is the Holy Spirit is forgotten about because he kind of likes it that way. He loves to glorify the person and the work of Jesus. That's his whole gig. He, He has inextricably connected himself to the work of Jesus, the Son of God. Because you're not going to experience the Holy Spirit unless you come to believe and receive the work of Jesus who died on a cross for your sins and rose from the dead to give you new life. And so, I love what 1 Corinthians 12.3 says, you, you can't even confess Jesus apart from the Holy Spirit. And so you see, the Holy Spirit cannot be left out of the equation of God being known or should I say, God-knowing man, right? The Holy Spirit connected himself to the work of Jesus and to the work of the Father. We can't know the Father, we can't know Jesus truly apart from him. And so the essential message of the Holy Spirit, what he preaches, if you will, is look at Jesus, look at Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He's actually the one whom we have most 
to look at because he came as a man like us. He came in our likeness, God in the flesh. And so if you want to know what the Holy Spirit is like, I mean, even if you want to just scrap everything I just said, and you want to really understand what the Holy Spirit is like, look at Jesus. Does that make sense? The reason why is because, yeah, they're separate and distinct persons of the Godhead, but they're the same in character. They're the same in personality. You know, the Father is not the grumpy one, and the Son is the kind one, and the Holy Spirit's kind of the elusive one, right? Like the Son's talking the Father off the ledge and trying to rein in that wild spirit. But isn't that often how we think about God? but that's not God. We have to understand the Spirit as He's revealed Himself. He is eternal. He's omnipresent. He's omniscient. He's omnipotent. Those are just fancy words for saying He's everywhere. He's all-knowing. He's all-powerful. He has a mind. He has a will. He has intellect. He has emotions. He is a personal being. He can be grieved. He can be quenched. He groans. He has personality. So what does this mean for us? It means that we are known and loved by a God who is personal. He wants to be known. He wants to be loved by us. That is why the Holy Spirit's main activity is revealing God to man. It's his life's work. And so often, the way that the Holy Spirit will manifest himself in the scriptures is by things that we already know about through various signs and symbols. For instance, he'll, he'll show up like a dove, or like wind, or like fire, or like water, or like oil. We know something about those things and what they do, and he, he manifests himself in a way where we can say, wow, like a, like a fire that can spread and consume, so does the Holy Spirit. Like, like water that falls upon a dry and weary land and refreshes and produces growth, so is the Holy Spirit like a dove who is peaceful and settles and rests and remains upon us, so is the Holy Spirit. Like the oil that's good for healing and for replenishing and renewing, so is the Holy Spirit. He manifests himself in these ways so that we can know him. And lastly, as a final overview as to who the Holy Spirit is and what he does in his work is that he was present at creation. Go read Genesis 1-2. He was there in the beginning. He was at the conception of the virgin birth. He guided and empowered Jesus in his ministry. He is the author of scripture. He baptizes, he empowers, he gives gifts, he indwells believers, he fills believers, he inspires prayers, he, he sanctifies, he teaches, he testifies, and he exalts the ministry of Jesus. Have we learned a little something about the Holy Spirit tonight? Amen? Amen. That's our theology. We could talk, I could talk for another half hour and go deeper and more into the fullness of God's word as to who he is and what he does. But for the rest of our time in our study, what I want to do and where I sense that the spirit was leading us to do here as we end is to go to the gospel of John. What I want to do is I want to take us through a quick journey through the gospel of John 
And, and I want to show us all the different places where the Spirit is mentioned. And then we're going to end with an illustration. Do you guys like illustrations? We're going to end with an illustration that I find to be helpful in understanding the indwelling of the Spirit. So starting in John chapter 1, I love that sound of the turning of pages, not hating on the scrolling of the finger. I'm just saying that sound is nice. All right. John chapter 1, starting in verse 32. This is John the Baptist and his understanding of the Spirit and what he was seeing there in the beginning of the ministry of Jesus. It says in verse 32, and John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven. That's where he comes from. He's God. He's from heaven. And he came like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, that's the Father speaking to John about Jesus. He said, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Again, come next week and find out what that means. Turn over to John chapter three. This is when Nicodemus, Nick at night comes and uh, talks to uh, Jesus. In verse five, you guys didn't get that reference, so... You're like, is he old enough to get that? So, uh, John chapter 3, starting in verse 5, Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of Spirit is Spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind, right? Again, another reference to how the Holy Spirit is like wind. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Then turn over to John chapter 4. Starting in verse 10, Jesus is there with the woman of Samaria at the well in at the well in the middle of the day, and, and he asks her for some, some drink from the well. Draw up some water for me so that I can drink. And, and she's like, okay, she, she's gonna do it. But Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God, that is the Holy Spirit, and who it was that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Again, another reference to the Holy Spirit. We've already seen him reference like wind and, and now like water. There the woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and this well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Verse 12, are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well and drank from it, and as did his sons and his livestock. She's like, this is an old well. You want to drink? You got living water? This, this well's been around for a long time. What, what kind of water are you talking about? Verse 13, Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. Man dug that well. I'm talking about a different water. Verse 14, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him, speaking of the Holy Spirit, will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Later on in the interaction, go to verse 23. It says, but the hour is coming and is now here 
when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, see? God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. So good. And then go to John chapter 7. At this point, Jesus has only been speaking to people like privately about who the Holy Spirit is. John spoke about him. He talked to Nicodemus. He talked to the woman at the well. He's talking to people who are who, who not publicly quite about this yet. But then, verse seven or chapter seven, starting in verse thirty-seven, Jesus goes to the temple, and there's this huge feast going on, crowds of people, and he stands up. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, "If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink." Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And then there's a little commentary in there. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believe in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Jesus had to die first for the Spirit to be given. Then we get to when he's talking to his disciples about this. And they weren't quite picking up what he was putting down. Go to John chapter 14, starting in verse 15. This is when Jesus is talking to his disciples, really wanting them to understand that he's going away. He's about to die, and they're going to receive a helper. And they're bummed out, man. Jesus is saying he's going to leave them. And like, where are you going? And he, he keeps being, stop asking me where I'm going. I already told you where I'm going. And don't worry, I'm sending you the helper. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. Now, in John 14, starting in verse 15 down to verse 17, he says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. We're going to come back to this verse in just a moment. We only got a couple more verses. You guys all tracking with me still? Yeah. Okay. Be, be focused and be intent as we're reading a lot here. Go to uh, verse 25 of chapter 14. Stay in chapter 14. It says, these things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, don't you love how when Jesus speaks about the Holy Spirit, he speaks in such connection with the Father and such connection with himself. He, he's, he doesn't separate it out. It's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Spirit comes from the Father, sent in Jesus' name, all that. In the second half of verse 26, this is what he will do. He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. Aren't we thankful that the Holy Spirit did that work? Because now we can read the Gospel of John and see what Jesus said to them. Then chapter 15, look at verse 26 of chapter 15 of John. When the helper, and I love that this name helper was repeatedly mentioned by Jesus because we'll get to that too, how he's our helper, the parakletos. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. 
I love that he's called the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father. Then chapter 16, we've only got two more references left. Chapter 16 is the longest one. John 14, 15, and 16 are some of the most in-depth teachings that Jesus gave on the Spirit. Study them. Be well acquainted with them. John 16, starting in verse 4, going down to verse 15. But I have said these things to you, that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I'm going to him, the Father, who sent me. And none of you asked me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Like I said there, they're bummed out that Jesus is leaving. But look at verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Let me make a quick comment about that. If Jesus didn't go away, let's just say after he rose again, Jesus just stayed on the earth and went about preaching in every different continent. You know, oh, what what church is Jesus preaching at this Sunday? Oh, he's in Spain today. We'd all be flying over to Spain to go watch Jesus teach, right? But it's for our advantage that Jesus ascended because then he sent the Holy Spirit who dwells in who? You. (laughs) So that you could go to the ends of the earth and preach. How much more effective is that? That's amazing. That's one of the advantages of Jesus going and the helper coming. And then verse eight, and when he comes, this this is good, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Sin is the truth about us. Righteousness is the truth about God. And judgment is when those two truths come together. He will convict us of sin. Lead us to righteousness in Jesus, knowing that our sins were judged at the cross. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me, Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. Verse 12, I have many things to say to you, but I cannot bear them, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Again, just so connected in their work. Then Jesus, after this, is arrested and is scourged carries a cross to a hill outside the city called Golgotha. And they put nails in his hands and nails in his feet. And he gets lifted up. And the whole sky turns black. What was God doing on a cross? And, and Jesus, the spirit-filled man who is God, was there hanging on a cross dying for us. And 
and he died. And and for his disciples, it seemed like the end. It was like, what? This man we've been with for three years just died? And you know, the disciples were all scattered like sheep. They're all hiding in fear. They're completely in dismay. And then Nicodemus, right, the one who heard about the Spirit and needing to be born again, gets together with his buddy Joseph of Arimathea, and they go and they pull the nails out of the hands and the feet of Jesus, and they take his dead body off of the cross. And they wrapped his body in cloth, and they went and they took him to a tomb not far from that cross, into a tomb that no one had ever been laid in before. It was Joseph's tomb. He was a rich man, and he was laid inside of that tomb, and they closed it up. Jesus was in that tomb for three days, dead. And then the Holy Spirit went inside of that tomb and raised Jesus from the dead. And the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, Jesus promised, will dwell in you. And the disciples didn't know this yet. They're still hiding, they're still fearful, they're still in dismay, they're still wondering, how am I gonna live this life without Jesus? And then Jesus goes to them in John chapter 20, starting in verse 19, and says, on the evening of that day, John 20, starting verse 19, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And in that moment, the disciples were born again. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead was now dwelling in those disciples so that they could write things. Later, Paul, who became a Uh, indwelt by the Spirit could say in Romans 8, 16, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God. Or he could say things like, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought at a price, the price of Jesus' blood, so glorify God in your body. We get the language of Ephesians of being sealed with the Spirit. We get the language from Timothy about his Spirit dwelling in you and guarding the deposit that is in us. We get the language from Titus 3, 5 that says we have been washed by regeneration and the renewal of the Spirit. This is all language to speak about how the Holy Spirit indwells the believer. That the moment that a person trusts in the person and the work of Jesus, that Jesus, the Son of God, died on a cross for your sins, that he was buried and he rose victoriously from the dead. When you believe that in your heart, you confess it with your mouth, you are saved, and the Bible says the Spirit comes and dwells inside of you. A person cannot be a Christian without the Spirit dwelling in them. 
all believers are indwelt by the Spirit of God. There's no such thing as a Christian without the Holy Spirit. And he's promised the Holy Spirit to all believers. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. He will be with us always. And he'll conform us to the image of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Let me end with this illustration. Worship team, you can come up. All right. I'm going to start this off because we're going to finish this illustration next week. So I'm going to leave you on a cliffhanger. This is you. Well, no, not really. You. This is a cup which illustrates you. This is you before you know Jesus. And this cup is empty. And the Bible says that God has set eternity in our hearts. And I love when evangelists will say, you know, there's a God-sized hole within your heart. And, And only by belief in Jesus Christ can that chasm be filled that is within you. We talk about how somebody who's lost and without God, that they're empty, right? Who's known what that was like? Yeah. So this is you before you're a Christian, and the way the Bible speaks about the Holy Spirit is that it often uses prepositions, and Rob's going to get into this next week, but the prepositions for the Holy Spirit in his relationship to people, you know what a preposition is, right? It's a locator of time and space, like where you are, so like I could be under the table, I could get on the table, it tells you like where you are in relationship to something. So the Holy Spirit is with us prior to conversion, prior to coming to Christ. He's with you and he's telling you, believe in Jesus. Believe that he died on a cross for your sins. Believe that he rose from the dead. And if you believe that, I will come and I will dwell in you. And the Holy Spirit's pointing us to Christ, pointing us to Christ. And the moment that a person confesses Christ as their Lord and Savior, they're indwelt by the Holy Spirit, right? That emptiness is filled and you're completely full and you have all of the Holy Spirit in you. Next Sunday, we're talking about how we have become partakers of his divine nature. God dwells in you. You can't get closer to God than that. Guys, God lives inside of you. He dwells in you. Let's cherish that. Let's find the profound mystery of that, that God is in us and he's our helper, He is our advocate. He's the one who, you guys know him, right? You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. And if you've believed in Jesus, he is in you. But there's a work that happens with the Holy Spirit, which Jesus said, as soon as he breathed the disciple on the disciples, he said, wait in Jerusalem because there's power that's gonna come from on high where the Spirit of God is going to come upon you. And that work of the upon experience of God, we call the baptism with the Holy Spirit. If you wanna know what that is, come back next week. Amen? Let's all worship Jesus. Amen.